It's one of my favorite parts. You know, sometimes we can we can joke about the, the Riverside roll-in uh, that you, know, you just get at the beginning of service, not quite as few many as you get to the end. Uh, but what I love about it is that so often that roll-in happens uh, because we're standing outside and we're talking to one another, we're catching up, and we're caring enough to care about what's going on in each other's lives. And we're genuinely excited to get to meet up and see each other and reconnect and to talk and then to get to fellowship, that it's not perfunctory to go around and greet your neighbor so that we can have a transition time for the band or for the speaker, uh, but that it's a genuine time where we get to hug somebody and really mean it, uh, tell somebody that you love them and really mean it, uh, and I really love that about this church. Uh, you know, during the first service, uh, as, as Josh was leading us in the song, Firm Foundation, um, I, I felt like God was speaking something to my heart, and I didn't stand up and say anything. Uh, but thankfully, uh, God is a God of second chances, amen, and I have the microphone, and so I get all the time I need to say what uh, God was speaking to my heart. But as we were singing the song, Firm Foundation, the question came to mind, where is your foundation? Where, what is your foundation? Now, you see, Mackie, that's an obvious question. We're singing, you're a firm, duh, that's a good question. But like, in, in a very practical, dirt-level sense, if I were to put it like this, where do you go, or what do you do, when everything hits the fan? What is your default action? If I'm honest, for me, my default, when things start falling apart, is to pull myself up by the bootstraps, is to lean on my resiliency. I'm a really resilient person. I'm very gritty. I just keep on going. Like, you knock me down, I get up. You keep getting up over and over again. I'm just really good at getting it done. I have this switch in my head that I can just flip, and it doesn't matter how many hours I have to drive, how long I have to work. It doesn't matter what I have to do. I just have a switch that I flip, and I get it done. That's my default. What's your default? When your best laid plans fall apart. You see, that's your foundation. This, this last week, I had a great plan uh, for what our week would be, uh, and they all promptly started falling apart about Saturday afternoon uh, when a light went off in my truck and it said, hey, you've got death contamination in the diesel, and so it's kind of like bad fuel, and so we're like, wait a minute, that shouldn't have happened, like I got the death at Bucky's, and like whatever comes from Bucky's is good, and so like we ought to be, ought to be fine, right, and, uh, but it, it went off, and then it was like, hey, in 50 miles, your truck is going to shut down, I'm like, that's no good, take it to a mechanic, he's like, you got to take it to the Ford dealership, I get to the Ford dealership, they close. 13 minutes before I got there, and so they're not going to be there until Monday, which means we can't move the trailer, and which means we can't go to the places we were supposed to be, and so that means I'm going to be driving all across the state. Last week, I did like 2,500 miles driving across Texas, speaking and encouraging folks, and it wasn't supposed to be that way, and yet it was, and so I'm like, okay, it is what it is. I get back on Monday night, uh, left at about 3.30 that morning, get back about midnight, and then we realized that in the, in the fifth wheel, uh, the black tank is full. And for those of you that aren't RVers, uh, in your house, like you do what you do in the bathroom, and then you flush it, and then you forget about it. And in a fifth wheel, you flush it, and then it goes to the black tank, and then you've got to remember about it, or else it'll overflow into the trailer. Are we picking up what I'm putting down? Like, are we on the same page there? I don't need, I want to be more graphic than I need to, but I want to make sure you're getting my point. And so I get back, and I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I got to do it. Like, I don't have the truck, so I can't uh, move it uh, to where it needs to be. And so, you know what? 
like here we go, I'll just get what's called a honey wagon, which is basically like a portable, uh, you know, septic tank. You fill it up and then you drag it to the dump spot and then you dump it and you do it over and over again. So I'm thinking, you know what, like I'm tired. I don't want to do this, but you know what, like man's got to do what a man's got to do. And so I do it and I go down there and I go and I get my gloves on and I'm ready to go. And I'm thankful that it didn't overflow into the trailer. I'm very unthankful that it overflowed past the lever that keeps it from coming out of the tube. And so as I go to hook it up, I get covered in the black tank. You tracking? We picking up? I got covered. And so then I start, then like, and I'm telling you right now, the things that I start thinking aren't like God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I'm trading my sorrows. Nope. I wasn't thinking that, right? The things I were thinking were things that I need to repent of. And so like I'm doing it and then like I get covered and I fill it up. And so I drag the honey wagon the half a mile down and then I come back and I do it all over again. And what happens again? I get covered and I fill it up and then I drag it and then I get a five gallon bucket. And just for the next hour and a half, I'm just thinking, you have got to be kidding me. But I'm not praying. I'm not saying God is good. I'm going, you know what? A man's got to do what a man's got to do. I lean in on my resiliency. As the week continued to fall apart <laughs> that way, I leaned more and more on my own strength. It was my foundation. What's your foundation? Where do you go when the black tank overflows? You see, when we make our foundation what we can do, we get to a point where we can no longer do. Like when we start with our foundation, we'll finish at a place where we say, I can't do it anymore. And we think that our limitation becomes God's limitation. When we start with our strength, we'll end at our strength. But when our foundation is the Lord, when our foundation and our strength is our trust and our hope in God, we don't get to a moment of, I can't. We get to look what God can. And what I want to challenge us with today is we look at a story in John chapter 6 of an, of an encounter that the God-man Jesus had with someone who found out, you know what? When I let go of what I can and can't do, I see all that God can do. And I want to see what God might could do in your life this week when we let go of what I can't do and embrace what God can. But as we do that, would you stand and declare the Shema with us? Uh, we declare the Shema each week. You know, we're thinking like, why do we do this? Right. And like I, I grew up discipled by Scott. And so like I have ingrained in my heart and my head and my mind on my tongue, like to say it exactly the way that Scott said it. And we mean it. And I was thinking, why do we do this? Whereas we, we ritualize things so that we can actualize things. We find a practice, a way of saying it over and over and over again so that we know it without thinking so that it can become true in our lives. Why do we say the Shema each week? So that we can remember who God is and who we're called to be. So we can know the standard, so that we can remember that the tip of God's smallest finger is enough power not only to change our world, not only to handle our black tanks, but to change the whole world. That when things like El Paso and Dayton happen in the same day, we can remember that evil is not won the day. That the battle is not the evil ones. The battle belongs to the Lord. And that God has not given up yet. He's not done yet. Not in our lives and not in the world. So we say it as a reminder. Because sometimes we're forgetful people. Because sometimes evil gets dark. 
Sometimes the struggle and the weight and the burden gets so heavy that we think we have to default to our own. And this reminds us that we need a default to the Lord. We'll say some in English and some in Hebrew as a reminder. So let's declare the Shema together today. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. 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 Take a seat and open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 1. On the screen will be I'll be reading from the message paraphrase translation. You can follow along there or in your scriptures. In John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says this. After this, let's pause. Because whenever you're reading the scriptures, after this, you got to ask, after what? And the what in John 6 is John chapter 5. And it actually makes a really big difference. Because Three things happen in John chapter 5 that are going to influence what happens in John chapter 6. Number one is that Jesus heals a paralyzed man. You, you might remember the story that there was a pool called Bethesda, and there was a pool there, and all of the sick and the paralyzed would hang around there. If you had been cut out from the, from the, the inner circle, if you've been cut out from society— because of your sickness, they believed that if you were sick or, or, or leper or, or paralyzed, it was because God had turned his back on you, that an improper theology, an improper understanding. And so they would send them out away from everyone else. Well, they would all gather at this pool. And the tradition was that if the angels came and touched the water, that the first person into the water after that would be healed. And so there was a whole gathering of the sick there. And you remember that Jesus comes in John 5, and he sees the man who's been paralyzed for many, many years. And he comes to the man, and he says, do you want to be healed? Now, I've always thought that was a strange question for Jesus to ask, right? Because here's a man at a place that traditionally is the place that you come to get healed. He's been paralyzed his whole life. And yet, when he, Jesus asks the man, do you want to be healed? The man doesn't respond with a yes or even a no. He responds with an excuse. He says, don't you know that I have no one here to help me? That whenever the waters are stirred, there's no one to help me get in. And so others get in before I do. So I can't be healed. How often do we respond to God with an excuse? Hey, do you want me to move in your life? God, don't you understand? I, I can't, that can't happen in my life. Don't, don't you understand the, the history don't you, don't you know what my past relationships have been like? Don't you know what my home life was like? Don't you know my work history? God, I can't do that because of this. Praise God that Jesus isn't deterred by our excuses. And so Jesus heals the man. And he says with the word, get up. And he stands up and he picks up his mat and he walks out. And the Pharisees get really, really upset about this, right? We say, why don't we like the Pharisees? Well, we don't like them because they're always, they're not so fair, you see. Why don't we like the Sadducees? Because they're not always so sad, you see. And so, no? Like, ah, oh, come on, man. Like, in the head, it was, thank you. In the head, it was like dad joke funny, uh, but thank God we got second chances. So thank you, appreciate you. But you go, why didn't the Pharisees like Jesus? Why was it that they were so against him? Well, the first reason was that he healed this man on the Sabbath. 
And that was a big no-no. You're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, and Jesus heals. And so they don't like that, and so then Jesus begins to teach them. It's the second thing that happens in John 5, is that he begins to teach, and he gives this long teaching. He lays it out that I and the Father are one. That when you see me work, you see the Father work. When you hear me speak, you hear the Father speak. And so he places himself and teaches and places himself on the same level as God the Father. And so then, the Pharisees really don't like that. And in fact, in John chapter 5 and verse 18, it lays out, and this is the third thing that happens. He heals, he teaches, and John 5 articulates why it is that the Pharisees don't like him. Verse 18 says, that really set the Pharisees off. The Jews were now not only out to expose him, they were out to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, putting himself on a level with God. You see, that's why the Pharisees hated Jesus. And so it's after this, after Jesus heals the paralyzed man with the word, it's after Jesus lays out that he and the father are on the same level, it's after that that John 6 happens. So back to John 6, chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. Some call it Tiberias. And in fact, that's a picture taken uh, not too far from where this story takes place. It goes across the sea and a huge crowd followed him, attracted by the miracles they had seen Jesus do among the sick. Isn't it true that over and over again, not only in scripture, but in our lives today, we see people who are curious about God because they've seen what God could do in other people's lives and they wonder, could it really be true in mine? Is this God thing really for real? Isn't that the base level of, of every question, of every doubt? Is this God man for real? Is this thing serious? God's done it in their lives. Could he really do it in mine? Or do I not have the right credentials? Or, or I just not come from the right place? Is this, all, is this thing all a hoax? Or could God really work in my life the way that I've seen God move in the lives of other people? So the crowd comes because they want to know, could God move in their life the way that he has in there, in others? And so when Jesus got to the other side, he climbed a hill and he was surrounded by his disciples. And it was nearly time for the feast of the Passovers, kept, over, kept annually by the Jews. Now, there were three big festivals that the Jewish people kept. And so when we hear Paul talk about the law or being faithful to the law, it was that they would be uh, faithful to dietary restrictions as laid out in the, what we call the Old Testament, uh, dietary restrictions, circumcision, and faithfulness to the calendar. And so the three big festivals that they would keep were the Feast of uh, the Weeks or Pentecost, uh, Pentecost, Penta 5, Pentecost of the Weeks, uh, Feast of the Tabernacles or Booths, and then the Feast of the Passover. And the Feast of the Passover was kind of the granddaddy of them all, right? It was the Rose Bowl. It was the one that that was the big dog. And they, re, they celebrated the Feast of the Passover so that they could remember. remember we're forgetful people. You ritualize uh, to actualize. And so it was that we, God wanted his people to remember his faithfulness. God wanted his people to remember that I work in the lives of my people. And so the Feast of the Passover was celebrated. Well, what is it that they're remembering? They're remembering the time that God delivered them from Egypt. Do you remember the story? God's people at the beginning of Exodus were enslaved in Egypt. And God calls a man named Moses to come and set the people free. 
And when God calls Moses in an incredible way through a burning bush, Moses responds not with an enthusiastic yes, but he responds with what? An excuse. Just like the paralyzed man. God, don't you understand? I, I, I can't do this. That's the most powerful nation on earth. The Pharaoh, I can't go speak to him. In fact, I'm terrible at public speaking, right? I'm awful at it. I can't do this. And he begins to list all of the reasons that he can't be used by God. And yet God provides over and over because it turns out God's not so much interested in what you can't do, but in what you will do. I'll say it again in case you need to get it. God's not interested in what you can't do. Moses, I don't care that you can't speak. God, I don't care that you're not the, the traditional political candidate. God, I don't care about Moses. I don't care about your background, your history, what you have done or haven't done. I'm asking, will you go? I'm interested in what you will do. And so he equips Moses. Moses goes, and this is the Mackey International Version, but basically Moses shows up and says, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, nah, player, I'm good. And so then Moses is like, no, no, really, you need to let our people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, you really don't get it. I'm really good. And so then Moses like takes a staff and like turns it into a snake, to which I'm like, I'm out. And then like he does all the plagues and like the frogs and the blood in the river and all this stuff starts happening. And Pharaoh's not getting it. And so then what happens? Angel of death comes to take the firstborn child of each family. But God is faithful. And he says, if you'll take the blood of the lamb and you'll spread it over the door, then the angel of death will do what? Passover. And so it's a festival to remember when God was faithful to his people to pass over and to deliver. And it's at that time, a festival of remembering, that people show up and they come to find Jesus to wonder did God really work in their lives? Isn't it funny that a time they're supposed to remember, they're questioning. We're forgetful people. It's why it's so important to find a way to remember what God has done, whether it's through a prayer journal, through a list of something that you're thankful for. It's important that you find a way to articulate what God has done in your life so that you can remember because the day will come when you'll forget. The day will come when the burden gets too heavy, when the tank gets too full. The day will come when your best laid plans start to fall apart and you'll forget that God has been faithful from the word go. You'll get to a moment where you, you're doing the checkbook and you're doing the budget and you're looking at it and you're going, man, there is no way <laughs> that we're going to make it. And yet you've forgotten that that's not the first time that you've been in that situation and that God's been faithful every single month. In some way, a check shows up in the mail. Somebody brings something over. God's been faithful, but you'll forget. Ladies, remember, some of you have been praying for your spouse, praying for a husband. Your prince charming since you were this tall. Tall as my baby girl, Jane. She just turned five. She's already talking about, Daddy, can I marry this person? I'm like, nope. <laughs> See, Daddy, can I get, nope. <laughs> nope. You know, she's already thinking. And you start planning and you think about the dress and you think about the food and the location and your mom and your dad because they're faithful they're praying for that prince charming who dad knows isn't a prince charming he's a prince chump but we're praying that god is going to be faithful you know and you're doing all that and you're praying you're praying and then he comes in and he sweeps you off your feet and you get the butterflies in your tummy and you get the stars in your eyes and all of this and then he proposes in a hot air balloon in the colorado rockies because he's a stud you're welcome and then <laughs> You know, he's praying and all this comes in 
and then the wedding day comes and you got the white dress and you're surrounded by your friends and the pastor's there and you do all that and you go to the honeymoon and you're thinking, this is great. This is, every, God, you're so faithful. I've been praying for this my whole life and God, you delivered. And then about a month and a half or seven days after the honeymoon, you get in and you start praying like, God, this was the best you could do? Like, did you, this, was, this was Prince Charming? God, come on, where are you at? That's the best you can do. And you forget that God's been faithful. We forget that God's been faithful. And when that happens, we start questioning, God, can you really move? God, can you really do? We stop putting our foundation in God. We start putting it on ourselves. And we do that, we get to can't real quick. And we let our can't limit what God can do. We've got to remember. At a time the people were supposed to, they began to question. And so uh, the story continues. The time of the Feast of the Passover kept annually by the Jews. And when Jesus looked out and he saw that a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, one of his 12 best friends, where can we buy bread to feed these people? Now, that's an interesting question, right? Because the story will tell us that there were 5,000 men there, plus the women and children. So there are a lot of people who have showed up. And when Jesus sees all of these people, he asks the question, how can we feed these people? And you can imagine, like, if you're Philip, you're thinking, like, are you, wait, are we, are you, oh, you're serious right now. Like, this is not a joke. Like, like, am I on candid camera? Like, you, did, did Peter put you up to this? Peter put you up to this. Okay, good one, Jesus. Because it's impossible. How would we feed all these people? Right? We couldn't just pull up the food trucks, load up some tacos, and pass them out, and it's like tacos for Jesus, and we're just like doing it and going. Like, it doesn't happen that way. Are, are you serious? Peter, excuse me, Philip, when he saw the crowd, all of their need, he saw what was impossible. But Jesus, when he saw the people and the need, he, he saw an opportunity to serve. I wonder, what do you see when you see people in need? Do you see something that says, that's impossible? That person's life will never turn around. Is it, that, that's too big for me. I, I can't affect that. I, I can't, God can't use me there. What do you see? I can't help but think that Jesus had one of those I can't help myself attitudes when he saw people in need. See somebody in need, I just can't help myself. I got to go serve them. Saw somebody that's sick, I just can't help myself. Come on, Peter, we got to go, go heal somebody. I can't help myself. I can imagine I wasn't there, but I can imagine Jesus up in heaven with the Father and the Spirit and the angels, and they're up doing their thing. And then Jesus just looks down and sees the whole world making a muck of itself. God telling them to go this way, and they're going that way. And Jesus is like, you know what, Father? I just can't help myself. I got to get up and go. Like, I got to go do something. Let's get in the truck. Let's ride down. Let the, uh, the Word put on flesh and blood, move into the neighborhood, and let's go save some folks. I can't help myself. What do you see when you see people in need? you have a I can't help myself mentality? Or do you have one of those I'll help them if it helps me mentality? You have one of those that's somebody else's job mentality. Or maybe like Philip, you have a that's impossible. I can't do that mentality. See, when we lay on our own foundations, it gets us to what we can't do. And we start to think that God can't either. And so Jesus, 
looks out, he sees the crowd. He says to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? And Jesus said it to stretch Philip's faith, for he already knew what he was going to do. See, friends, sometimes God will ask us to do the impossible because he wants to stretch our faith. God will ask us if we're willing to get into the game and what seems impossible because he wants to grow you. Remember last week we talked about how when we get comfortable or we get confused about what God will and won't do in our lives, it stunts our growth. Confusion and comfort stunts growth. And so Jesus asked Philip a question that's going to stretch him because he already knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to grow Philip's faith. Which you would think, like, Philip ought to get it, right? Because what just happened in John 5? Philip saw a man get healed from paralyzed 30 years by Jesus speaking. And yet he forgot. He heard the teaching of Jesus saying, when you see me, you see the Father. When you hear me, you hear the Father. And yet Philip forgot. And sometimes we'll see God move in our lives and do the impossible and then he'll say, okay, you've seen me do the impossible. Now let's take this next step. And you go, ah, God, that's impossible. He's like, boy, did you just forget? Like, I deal in the impossible. Have you forgotten? And sometimes we'll think that God has <laughs> lost his ever-loving mind when he asks us to do something. But we got to remember that Jesus already knows what he intends to do. He's on your team. He's not, he's not lost control He's calculated. He's measured. He's moving. He's on your team. And so he already knew what he was going to do. And so Philip answered. He said, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to feed all these people even one piece of bread. Jesus, I could work for a year and it wouldn't do any good. And then one of the disciples, it was Andrew, brother to Simon Peter, said, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two pieces of fish. But it's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. Jesus throws out the impossible. Philip answers with the I can't. And the little, show, little boy shows up. He doesn't say I can't. But he says I will. He shows up to Jesus and says. Jesus it's not very much. It's just a snack pack and a couple Capri Suns. A lunch that my mama made for me to eat today. It's a drop in the bucket like this. But if you can do more with it than I can. Then it's yours. See, the little boy didn't focus on what he couldn't do, but instead he focused on what he would do, what he was willing to do. He said, Jesus, I'll bring you my lunch, and if you can do more with it than I can, you can have it. And you see, that's faith. That's what faith looks like in a very real, dirt-level way, that you just show up and go, Jesus, my week has fallen apart. Like, it has gone off the rails, and I don't have a lot left in me, but what I do have, it's yours. Jesus, I don't, have, I don't have a lot of parenting uh, energy left, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm doing good just to keep these kids alive. Like, forget showers and, like, nutritional lunches and breakfast and stuff. Like, they're still alive, Jesus, and that's all I've got. If it's enough, you can have it. He says, Mama, it's enough. It's enough. Stay faithful. Don't give up. Just keep going. It's enough. Dad, and you say, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I, I'm trying to do it right, but it seems like everything I do gets it wrong. But God, I'm willing. 
I want to be better. I want to grow. I want to be an example, but I got a lot more reps at being a bad example than I do being a good example, and it's hard to break the habit. She says, just keep going. Don't give up. Bring the willingness, and that's I can do more with your willingness than you can. And so Jesus tells the disciples, he said, make the people sit down. And there was a nice carpet of green grass in this place. And they sat down, about 5,000 of them. And then Jesus took the bread and having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated. And he did the same with all the fish and all ate as much as they wanted. That, by the way, is why we pray, fellas, before we eat so that God will multiply the tacos that are on our plate so that it would be like, we paid for three, but it's like we ate seven. You know what I mean? And so that, no, not funny either. Man, I was thinking like that was going to be a good one. Thank, thank God for fourth chances. Here we go. It, it wasn't funny in the first service either, so don't worry. And when the people had e eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. And when they went to work and filled the 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. And then the people realized, this is important, the people realized that God was at work among them and what Jesus had done. They said, this is the prophet for sure, God's prophet right in front, right here in Galilee. Now, you remember the same people who just said that, who were the people at the beginning of the story, who were what? Questioning. They were seeking Jesus to go, could they do the miracles? Could Jesus do the miracles in us that we've seen do in others? They were here. They were questioning. They had doubts. And then a little boy was willing to bring what he had and say, Jesus, you can do more with it than I can. And because of that, those same people were now saying, surely this is God because they had tasted and seen. You see, when we bring our willingness to God, it doesn't just change and stretch and grow our faith. It helps others do the same. That when we bring our willingness, God doesn't just work in us, but he works through us. And so I wonder today, where is God trying to stretch your faith? What's the call? What's the impossible seeming ask that he's making in your heart? I bet you don't have to pray very hard to know what it is. If I were willing to bet, I would bet that as soon as we started reading the scripture, as soon as I said it, it started twirling in the back of your mind and you were just trying to flush it. Like, nope, let's get rid of that one. Nope, no, nope, that's just a coincidence. No, that's just me trying to fill in the blanks for God. No, 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 it's just because I talked about it yesterday with somebody. It's not because God's speaking to my heart. I'd be willing to bet that the area that God is asking you to grow in is the area of your life that you're trying to avoid the most. And that just like he said to Philip, where can we buy bread? Where can we do the impossible? And he asked it because he already knew what he wanted to do in your life. I wonder, would you be willing to bring to God that area? And go, God, I can't do it on my own. My best has gotten me to a place where I'm like, I just can't. But I'm willing. I'm willing to give it a go. God, you want me to forgive that person? I, I can't do that. But I'm willing to consider considering it. 
And so God, if that's, if that's the next, I'm willing to take that step. I'm willing to consider considering it. Yesterday, I didn't want any part of it. But today, I'm willing to consider. Or, or God, I, I can't lead a life group. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trained. I don't know enough. All the excuses of why you can't. But maybe you'd be willing to host it. And so, you know, God, if you can bring somebody that will lead it, I'll open up my house to host it. And that's a stretch. That's a step for you. Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's like, I, you know what? Like, I, I can't give an hour a day in Bible study. I just don't have it. But you know what? I, I'll trade music on my commute for a sermon podcast, right? Adam's put together uh, on Spotify a sermon podcast from here at Riverside. And so you could re-listen to uh, the sermons uh, on Spotify. Uh, Adam can tell you how to do that. God, I'm willing. I can't give you an hour a day of Bible study just sitting there facing the book, but I'll trade music sports radio. I'll trade uh, the Disney Channel music for a sermon podcast. I'm willing to take a step. Where would God have you stretch your faith? In your time, in your energy, in your resources? One of my favorite scriptures is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. And in it, Paul writes and says that we loved you so much that we were willing to not only share the gospel with you, but our very lives. I wonder, would you love your community? Would you love your neighborhood? Would you love your coworkers enough to say, I'll share with you not just the gospel, but my very life. God stretched me. I got to go love some unlovables. I got some unlovables Monday morning at 8 o'clock. They unlovable, Jesus. I can't do it on my own, but I'm willing if you can do more with my will than I can, then you can have it. See, friends, God has a next step for all of us. And sometimes the thing that keeps us from taking it is that it's going to stretch us. And the stretching, I don't know the last time you touched your toes. I'm an athlete, D1. But I don't know the last time that you did it, but it hurts a little bit at first. But the more that you do it, the more consistent you are at it, the easier it becomes. In fact, the more that you look forward to it. You get used to stretching and being loose. You always want to be that way. When you get used to being stretched by God, you realize that that's one of the sweetest places that you can ever be. And even though it's painful in the moment, it's worth it. Not just for you, but for what would happen in the lives of others. Jesus was always in front of those people. He was always with them. He didn't change once he changed the, the boy's lunch to a massive meal. He was always the same. But the people didn't see it. And so that boy was willing to bring his willingness to Jesus. Jesus is all around. God is all present. But some people won't see it until somebody's willing to bring what they have for God to use. I wonder, would you be willing this week? Let's pray. Daddy, thanks so much that you want to use us. That we're not disqualified from service. That we're not too broken to be used. Left to be discarded, forgotten about. That God, you make us new and that you are willing to work in and through us. God, I pray that you would speak to every one of my brothers and sisters here today. 
about the areas of our lives that you want us to stretch, that you want us to grow. And that God, as you speak to us, would you speak in a way that reminds us that with that invitation comes strength. With that invitation comes your presence. But you're not going to call us to take a step you've not already taken. But just like with Philip, you know exactly what you already want to do. So God, I pray that you give us an invitation. I pray that you give us strength. I pray that you give us hope and desire. If we're honest, sometimes we just don't desire to be stretched. Sometimes we just don't desire to grow. So God, I pray that you would give us that desire. That you would renew our minds. That we would want to grow. And that when we don't want to, you'd give us the strength to be faithful anyways. That our relationship with you wouldn't be contingent upon feeling. It would be contingent upon relationship. God, I pray that you would show us how we could use our time and our energy, our talents, our resources, our relationships. That you would show us how we could use those things and bring them to your feet. That you could multiply them and bring others to you. God, we're thankful that you're the same. That you're always faithful. God, would you help us to see? Would you help us to see when we forget? Would you remind us when we start to look to the right or to the left? Would you bring our eyes forward, focused on you? God, we love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're for us and not against us. We're thankful that you're faithful even when we're not. We're thankful that you pursue us even when we resist the step, even when we resist the stretch. You're faithful, but you don't give up on us. God, may that encourage us this week to be faithful to you, even in the things that seem impossible. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.